Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. Sorry for no episode. Yesterday, I told you guys in Friday's episode, there probably was not going to be a Saturday episode. I was very busy yesterday, was not home at all. So we're back today with another episode. And in today's episode, we'll be discussing Antonio Brown. What's going on with that whole situation? Just, it's just crazy. It's madness. I'm going to get to all of that. Then we're going to go over uh, preseason week one in the NFL. I know I did the page last episode. I think it was last episode. I broke down the Patriots game because most of you are Patriots fans. I listen most of you from like the Massachusetts area. So I, no offense to any of you who aren't Patriots fans and aren't really too interested there's just not a lot of you um, to really, but excuse me for that. Now we'll be breaking down kind of the bigger takeaways from the whole league today because I said I was going to do that last episode and then I forgot to, but I think it worked out in my favor because that was only day one of the preseason. It extended out until like Saturday, so now I can kind of get everything off the table. But I already did the Patriots. So if you want like a complete Patriots breakdown, 15-minute preseason, Go check out my last episode. And then to wrap up the day, I'm going to talk about the Red Sox series versus the Angels. We haven't touched up on them uh, since after their second game against the Royals. So I've, I've got – you're going to hear some heat coming. I don't know how much in the preseason, how mad I'm going to get in the preseason, but for Antonio Brown and the Red Sox, you might hear some yelling. So um, I don't know if you want to just turn down your volume a little bit or just you know take the heat. I, I don't know. But anyway, first we're going to start with the Antonio Brown talk, so let's get to that. Okay, so the past few days, Antonio Clown, I mean Antonio Brown, has really been catching headlines. These past few days, I'd say, I'd still say he's basically the hot topic in sports still. The news came out two days ago when I was in the middle of recording the podcast. Since I didn't have an episode yesterday, I'm talking about it today. And actually, I think it's worked out in my favor because now we've heard John Gruden comment on it. Um... We've heard some of his reasoning, you know, a new threat that he put against the NFL. So I think, and it's still like the hot topic in sports. So I think, you know, me, me, me being technically two days late on it, not really because it's still the hot topic in sports. So I've, I want to read some quotes to you guys. Um, the first one, so obviously, first of all, I just want to, you know, back things up a bit. First, we thought he wasn't joining training camp with the Raiders because, one, it wasn't exactly – when you're a player like Antonio Brown, it's not really a necessity, but mostly because he had frostbite on his feet. I mean, that was pretty disgusting. Give him time to heal it. He did go to training camp one day, I believe, one or two. I think it was one day. And not Monday, one day, okay, just to get that straight. But, no, I – and – they wanted to cure him, I guess is what they're trying to say. You know, give him time. It's not really a need to have Antonio Brown there. I know you want to get him in there with the guys, gain chemistry with the quarterback. But, you know, let, let him cure. He'll come back. But it turns out most of it had to do with this helmet. A little bit had to do with the feet. You know, the feet were, you know, were a bit of a problem. But most of it had to do with his helmet. So the original report came from Adam Schefter. Uh, if I can pu- pull it up here. Oh, my God, this thing is so slow. Uh, but you've heard new reports, obviously. But the first reports, I guess, I'll just start with were... were, were what? Okay, apparently I just lost the... Uh, uh, here it is. I'm pulling it up now. But 
The original report from ESPN said sources. AB says no football without old helmet. And it kind of, you know, caught everyone by storm. Like, geez. Reported by Adam Schefter, who said if he's not allowed to wear his 12-year-old helmet, he ain't playing football. He's retiring. Retiring. And at first, this got me and a ton of people really mad. Antonio Brown, remember, was a sixth-round pick in the 2010 draft. Underdog story, okay? Underdog story came from a small college, sixth-round pick, started as a special teams guy with the Steelers. Special teams guy, sixth-round pick, went to a small school. That is an He was an underdog. And people liked Antonio Brown because who does not like a good underdog story, right? And usually most underdogs in sports, pretty much all, have a trait. It's called being humble, okay? Most most underdogs are humble. I think we can come to believe that. But once Antonio Brown became one of the more elite wide receivers in the league over the years, and he really started to you know get that fame and get the popularity, I guess you could say, he became one of the least humble players. I, I don't even think that's a word. Jeez, least humble. But you know what I'm say, trying to say. He was not humble at all. That wasn't even a book in Antonio Brown's um, dictionary. That wasn't even a book, uh, a word in his book. Jesus, I'm stumbling. But you know what I'm trying to say. Like that, That's just odd. Most underdogs, like look at Tom Brady. Was a complete underdog. Another sixth round pick right there. 199 overall. Came out of Michigan. Pretty big school. But the problem was. Back then. You know. Wasn't as big. It was still pretty big. But he's the backup. And he still has that humble mentality. To this day. To the point where he even says. You know. If the Patriots don't want me. They'll cut me. That's what his dad said. But he was you know, on, along the same lines. And he goes out there and battles like nothing's given for him. You know. he's Right now his mindset is. I'm not the starter on the New England Patriots. That's his mindset right now. He's still have to earn the job. I'm sure somewhere in the back of his mind. He knows I'm probably going to get the starting job. But he that's his mindset. He goes out there and battles every day. That's just a prime example. Like one, When you're an underdog. Even when you rise to the top, you still have that kind of chip on your shoulder. Most of those guys. Antonio Brown doesn't at all. He does not at all. I, I really do believe that. Um, he had a new threat today. So I do want to get to this new threat. And I'm going to read off what CBS Sports had. It's a two-minute read. So stick with me. I think it's actually good information that not many people picked up on. I did get the CBS Sports report earlier. Didn't read it until now. I did just pre-read it before the podcast. But I also want to get to John Gruden after. So I am going to get to John Gruden's uh, comments. I am going to probably rage on Antonio Brown. But I want to give you guys the backstory before all that. But first here, I want to get to this uh, CBS Sports report that came out today. and An hour ago, apparently. I think it was like two or three hours ago, but whatever. It, it's Sunday night for me. If you're listening Monday morning, no, 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 no. It was Sunday night, but doesn't matter. It The title is Antonio Brown has a plan to get his old helmet back, and it reportedly involves threatening the NFL. Okay, so we already heard the threat he might retire. Probably not enough to threaten the NFL, but here's his new threat. 
CBS Sports Report says, The only way Antonio Brown is going to be allowed to wear his old helmet this year is if he can somehow convince the NFL that his uncertified headwear is safe for the game for game use. And apparently, his legal team has come up with an interesting strategy to make that happen. According to The Athletic, Brown's camp went into the receiver's grievance hearing on Friday and basically threatened the NFL. Brown's legal team told the league that Brown suffer if Brown suffered a head injury in the helmet that he is compelled to wear, basically the one that the NFL makes you wear, the ones that are quote-unquote past their safety tests and are legal, all that stuff, he would hold the league liable. So if he suffers an injury in these helmets that the NFL is forcing the players to use, he would hold, hold the NFL liable. I'll probably, you know, press charges, you know, sue them, all that stuff. He wrote, CBS Sports wrote, what Brown's le- legal team is saying is that if Brown is forced to wear a new helmet and he gets injured while wearing the new helmet, then Brown is going to come after the NFL for damages. I do think that's an interesting threat. I do think it does something. You know, it, it, you know, it may pay, you know, the NFL just kind of looks and hears that and maybe, you know, thinks about it for a quick second. But CBS Sports Report is about to bring up another good point. They wrote, the only reason the new helmet, oh yeah, the problem that for Brown is that the NFL probably isn't going to buy that argument or feel threatened by it. The only reason the new helmet exists is because they're safer. And the reason players are required to wear them is so that the NFL won't be held liable if something were to happen to a player. Because it will look like the league was doing everything possible to help. I don't think that's a bad threat. I don't. He does have a better one. There's one more threat. I don't think that's a bad threat, to be honest with you. Does it help him a lot? Not really. But it certainly doesn't help uh, hurt him. I, I, I think all that does is help Antonio Brown's case. Does it help him a ton? No, but it does not hurt him at all. The next one is probably a little better, though. CBS Sports wrote, Although Brown, Brown's first threat might not be enough to help him win his case, his legal team did re- present another reason for why the Raiders receiver should be allowed to keep his old helmet, and the reason is much more compelling. According to CBS Sports, I do think it is a little more compelling, but you're going to have to listen for yourself. According to The Athletic, Brown's camp is arguing that the league can't prove that Brown's helmet isn't safe and that banning his helmet had no grounds in science or facts. They also wrote, Brown's situation is unique compared to other players who wore an illegal helmet last year, and that's because his helmet never failed any sort of safety test. The helmet that Brown is trying to use never failed a safety test. Here's the reason why he's not allowed to wear it, though. Although 11 different helmets have been banned by the league for failing the safety test, including the model that Tom Brady used to wear, Brown's helmet is only banned because it hasn't been certified by the National Operating Committee for Standards and Athletic Equipment, also known as NOCSE. Never heard of it. But anyway... The NFL doesn't allow players to use any uncertified helmet. So this committee hasn't certified his helmet. Here's why. Noske won't certify any helmet that is over 10 years old, which is why Brown's 12-year-old shut air advantage helmet is now illegal. 
The helmet is sold that shot actually discontinued making the model back in 2011. Brown started wearing that helmet during his rookie season in 2010. So, I mean, it's basically in the hands of the NFL. I do think Nos, whatever it's called, Nos Noxe could be brought into this. I think Antonio Brown could go to them. But Antonio Brown might have a case here. And I give him a little bit of breathing room on this one. For now. The rant is coming, don't worry. On John Gruden, Antonio Brown, it is coming. But I do give Antonio Brown a little bit of credit after hearing this. Like, okay, he's got a point. It has not failed safety tests, so he's looked into this. Like, it's not just, it's not, I guess, all Antonio Brown just looking for, um, looking to start drama or looking for attention, which I'm sure some of it is about. I'll get to the rant again in a minute. But I do think he has a point. He did look into it. It never failed a safety test. I like wearing it. But I have some other problems. Not only just because I feel like he's being a bit overdramatic, but just other things that I'm going to get to. I want to get to John Gruden. This is where the ranting starts to come on. John Gruden's comments, okay? So, here's what he wrote. Well, here's what John Gruden said. I support this guy. I think that's what he needs... That's what needs to be said. I don't know what anybody's writing or what anybody thinks, but this foot injury wasn't his fault. This was a total accident. It really wasn't his fault, and it's a serious injury. I know that some people are joking about it, but it's really not a laughing matter. The guy is hurt. He didn't do anything wrong. And the helmet thing is a personal matter to him. He also said, I have a lot of confidence that he's one of the premier competitors that I've ever been around, Gruden said. And I've got a feeling he would play with no helmet. That's how much he loves to play the game. But I'm not going to put words in anybody's mouth. We're going to support him, and whatever his decision is, we'll stand by it. But we're confident that he's going to be a huge factor for the Raiders for years to come. It was a total accident, an injury that he's looking to get right from, and hopefully with all the people that have seen it, that he's gotten it cured and he's ready to roll. When he talks about the injury, I don't have a huge problem with that, okay? But one of the premier competitors in the league? That's gotta be a joke. That is, that's gotta be a joke. One of the premier competitors that I've ever been around. John Gruden has coached Super Bowl teams. He has been with Antonio Brown. I mean, they traded for him a few months ago. But he's coached, really coached, Antonio Brown for what, a month and a half now? This is a guy who's coached for years and years and years. Won a Super Bowl. And he's been with Antonio Brown for a month and a half. All we've heard from Antonio Brown, he sat out because he had a foot frostbite on his foot. And he's also sat out because and threatened to retire because... He can't wear the helmet he wants. And that's one of the more premier... Has John Gruden not been here? 
Has John Gruden never coached before? Is this, like, the only team John Gruden's coached? If this is the only team John Gruden's coached, maybe he is one of the best competitors I've ever seen because the Raiders, frankly, suck. Okay? But Antonio Brown literally said in an interview with ESPN, I don't need football. I'd like to play. I don't need football. I kind of paraphrased that. It was something along those words. But are you kidding me? One of the premier competitors I've ever met. He literally, out of all you, all, all you've heard from him is he sat out because he had frostbite on his foot. Then he couldn't wear the helmet he wanted, so he threatened to retire. He literally said, "I don't need the game. I'd like to play. I guess you know." He's kind of, oh, I like to play, I guess, you know, whatever. Well, he looks like, you know, looking like a walrus there. That mustache is just horrible in the interview. You know, he just looks like a, ah, he looks like an absolute idiot. Well, I don't need football. You know, I guess I'd like to play. You know, that that's one of the best competitors you've ever seen. That's one of the best. Ca- now, I think this is their Oakland Raiders organization just feeding crap down John Gruden's throat, and he's throwing it back up on the media. This is not John Gruden. No. I think John Gruden's probably a little happy at the time because he won a preseason game with Nathan Peterman. Yeah, because when you're in Oakland, you don't do much winning, right? So, you know, a preseason game, you know, oh, Los Angeles Rams made it to the Super Bowl last year. Hmm. That, that, that's kind of where they're at right now. You know, preseason wins are a big victory. I'm sure John Gruden was a little happy at the time. I'm sure the Oakland organization probably also told him, listen, be on AB's side for this. Because if they're not on AB's side, he's going to be requesting another trade. I guarantee it. Because you just have to, you just have to coddle that guy. You have to do it in the NBA a lot, coddle the stars. You got to do it with Antonio Brown, too, and I know it sucks because you shouldn't really be doing it as much in the NFL. That's more of an NBA thing, and this guy's a wide receiver, but that's what you have to do for Antonio Brown. That's what you have to do for some talents like that. You know what? They are going to be a pain in the neck, but they're such a good talent. It's like, it's like make the decision. You either get rid of this guy if you don't want to deal with him, or you suck it up. Stand by him, even though you you know he's so annoying. He's a pain in the neck, but that's what you have to do for talent sometimes to be a real contending team. And Oakland's so desperate; they were four and twelve last season. They'll do anything to make Antonio Brown happy, even stand by him. And John Gruden, I'm sure, was not very happy with what going on with Antonio Brown, but he understands. You know what? I'm on a bit of a hot seat right now. I need to make the Oakland organization happy. I need to make probably our best player happy. And I know I don't want him to quit football. I'm not going to go that far, but I, I stand by his, you know, stand by him. But I'm not going to, you know, behind the scenes, I'll probably, you know, lure him back in or something. Personally, I don't think Antonio Brown will end up retiring. If he does, oh my God, what a clown. The guy's a drama queen, really. I mean, I get it, you know. It is technically, you know, it's caused no injuries, you know, just because it's over 12 years old. It still, it still works. You know, it's kind of like the tell, uh, not, not, the wheel. I guess the wheels are better though. The wheel's been a- around for centuries. It's still, still working just fine. You know, the telephone's one that's kind of been upgraded, but still, an old school telephone would still work. It wouldn't be as good, but it would still work. And it would still work well, I guess you could say, because that's the thing with, you know, that's the thing. You know, the telephone, it still works. It's not as good as the newer ones. It's kind of like with the helmet. Antonio Brown's helmet's good, but it's not as good as these newer ones. If that's what he said, then that then your end your case right there. You're gonna say, all right, then take take um her newer helmets. Personally, I don't play football. 
so I do. I'm pretty good at like flag football and stuff. I don't do the tackling and whatnot. I already do enough sports, but I, I even really, I've worn some helmets before, tried them on, but I, I've never really realized much of a difference. I've tried on a few helmets, but if I maybe if I could realize a difference, if there's some major difference and it really affects Antonio Brown's play, along with this case, he has somewhat of a case, but even then. How much of a difference can it make that you know retire from the game? I'm actually pretty mad at John Gruden because I think he's feeding us crap, and I think just the, one of the best competitors I've ever seen. Oh my god, that is so fake. That is so fake. It's not even funny. Don't buy a word John Gruden said once he made that comment. Never will again either. Probably not. Honestly, that was just such a bad, such a bad comment. Never say that again. Never call Antonio Brown, who threatens to retire because he can't get the helmet he wants, and says he doesn't need football. You know, I'd like to play, but I don't need football. God, I just never really liked Antonio Brown. I'd always pick him on my fantasy team because he's pretty good, but I never... How do you have respect for that guy? He's an interesting underdog. He's a unique underdog, really. Uh, Colin on the Anchor Mobile app, what are your thoughts on this Antonio Brown situation? Anything's on the table, but the Antonio Brown situation seems to be a hot topic that a lot of people talk about. So, again, Anchor Mobile app or through Safari, type in after the Buzzer Sports Talk, send in a voice message. Anything's on the table. So now we're going to get to some takeaways from week one of the NFL preseason, so let's get to that. Okay, so... First week of preseason is officially wrapped up in the books. And there's some takeaways. There's some big takeaways to get out of this. And my take on the preseason is I think it is a bit too long. I think four weeks. Personally, I'm always a guy. I love player development for some reason. Seeing backups get those reps. Like, I'm just obsessed with that. I'm like, get a backup in there. Give them a play. I just don't know why. I just love that type of stuff. I do think the preseason is probably a little too long. Maybe three weeks it should be. But I, I'm not, I don't have a huge issue with it like some other people do just because I like the player development, watching these you know younger quarterbacks play, younger players play. I just love that type of stuff, and I don't know why. I just obsess over it. But anyway, the first, again, I'm not going to get to the Patriots because I already did like a 15, 17, something like that minute breakdown my last episode. So if you want to hear that, you're going to have to go check it out after this episode. It's my last episode. So first takeaway I want to get to is Daniel Jones. Of course, you all saw it coming. Daniel Jones was basically the star of the show on Thursday and throughout this first week of preseason. I'd say that was most of people's biggest takeaway was Daniel Jones going off because... Daniel Jones was really the biggest, you know, I guess you could say question mark or biggest, whatever you want to say, biggest, I guess you could say, uh, player to have your eye on during the preseason. I mean, you could say Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, a lot of these guys. Most people said, we want to see how Daniel Jones does. The guys had a lot of haters. And again, when they picked him with the sixth pick, I was very mad because I thought that was a reach. I never said he'd bust. Am I on the Daniel Jones hype train? No. God, no. Do I think he'll do well in the NFL? I don't know. Do I think he'll do bad? I don't know. I don't like to be that guy because I like to make a prediction, but Dan Jones is one I have no clue. I have no clue how he's going to do. I never said he'd bust. I never said he'd be the next Tom Brady. I don't have a prediction. I may never make one on Daniel Jones. I'm sorry. I just may not. 
don't get on the Daniel Jones hype train. If you are hating on that Daniel Jones pick, don't back off because what what did he do? Well, he did well in his first NFL preseason game. How well did he do? Oh, he went six for six with the touchdown. Congratulations! Six passing attempts. Six for six. It's great. But he did it in the preseason against the Jets. Backup defense. He made six good throws, and all of a sudden, everyone everyone loves this guy. No, shut up. If you're on the if you're on anyone's hype train that you doubted before after the first week of preseason, I don't like you. Okay, that you doubted. I mean, like if Jacoby Myers is like like a guy like that is an exception. Like of all of a sudden you, you know, I didn't really know much about him, but I like the guy. That's good. But if it's like Daniel Jones, you doubted that pick. You hated it. You despised it. But you saw week one of the preseason and then said, "Oh, he's the next Tom Brady." Oh no, I don't like you. I don't like no. Go back to watching cricket. Okay, get out of here. People that go on the preseason hype trains are just fools. Okay, the preseason's great and all. I love player development. Love all that. And I think the preseason, you know, matters to an extent. But you never know until you play the real deal. Okay, look at Nathan Peterman right now. John Gruden loves Nathan Peterman. Has some obsession over him. Uh, you know. He didn't even admit Nathan Peterman had some nightmares, but if you look on tape, it wasn't all his fault. Yes, a few of them bounced off the receiver's hands, but nonetheless, Nathan Peterman has sucked in the NFL. Oh, he well, he's done well in training camp in the preseason. Like, John Gruden thinks Nathan Peterman is some god. By the way, he's played uh, in training camp in the way he just played in this preseason opener. That shows Nathan Peterman is going off in the preseason. Watch how he does in the regular season. Maybe Nathan Peterman's changed. I doubt it. Okay, highly doubt it. The, the guy's got too many chances at this point. But, I mean, you look at it, a lot, every, almost everyone does well in the preseason. Like, besides Tim Tebow and Dwayne Haskins. But, again, Haskins is another one. Like, there's still three weeks left in the preseason. He may not play every single week, but still. I just, no one really fails in the preseason. They may have rough patches here and there, but no one really ends up losing their NFL job or really getting seriously doubted because of the preseason. It only really helps players like that. Those rookies or those players trying to prove themselves. It really only helps them. And then they go out, and a lot of them go out in the real game and crap their pants. I, I can't, like Jared Stidham, I like Stidham and all, and I like the pick, but people are starting to say that he's going to replace Tom Brady. Look at, look at all these guys. Jacoby Brissett. Ryan Mallett. Oh, Ryan Mallett's a great example. He was looked very good in training camp, came into the preseason, looked real good. People thought we got value here. We ended up shipping out for, what, like a sixth-round pick. He did nothing in the NFL. Jacoby Brissett has been basically the same thing. He looked good, played a game with the Patriots, was all right, Get shipped out to Indianapolis. I really haven't seen him since. Besides, like, on the highlights when they're celebrating on the bench, you just see Brissett like, oh, yeah, because he's got nothing else to do. That's just what I just can't. I can't get on anyone's real hype train. I can't get on any hype trains after the preseason unless you absolutely go off. Like, if Jacoby Myers – for example, like one that if, if it's a guy that's like undrafted and he comes out of the blue, if you play really four, like if you play a lot of reps, you have to get a lot of reps. That's the thing. People that despise Daniel Jones in that pick, watched him 
go six for six with the touchdown in a preseason game and now love him. And I hate that so much. You can't you can't dig into it too much. You really six throws? Six throws. Six throws is gonna get you to going from hating this guy to thinking he's the next MVP. And he's the savior of the Giants. I just hate that. Until they get into the real game, you really don't know. Okay. Dwayne Haskins, I think we do learn things. Like Dwayne Haskins is not ready. Okay. Eight for fourteen with two picks. He's not ready. The guy's got a good arm. I think he's got potential. He's not ready. He isn't he's not ready. It's gonna be Colt McCoy or Case Keenum week one. That that should be easy. The Redskins should tank out this season. Try to play it out. Uh honestly. Try to play it out. You probably you got a cupcake schedule, so you can't you can't legitimately take it out take it out because you've got such a cupcake schedule. If you go three and thirteen, four and twelve, you might be in some trouble. Uh, you know, your job might be in some hot water, but thin ice. But you know, I mean, at that point, they just gotta look. They gotta upgrade that O line. They gotta get Dwayne Haskins weapons. I think their defense is solid. It's nothing outstanding, but you've gotta get that guy. I mean, Darius Guise, whatever his name is, the guy that I didn't really know, tore his ACL last season, hasn't played a, a game, a, a real snap. If he ends up being something, all right, you've got a running back, but I'd suggest getting a backup for that guy because he's you know just tore his ACL in case he gets hurt again. Get Dwayne Haskins in O-line. Get Dwayne Haskins weapons. Get Dwayne Haskins in the film room. Get Dwayne Haskins on the practice field. Don't put him in a game. Don't rush him. I see that happen way too much. Quarterbacks get rushed with potential, and then that's it. That's their NFL career. If you rush some of these guys that have good potential, they're never the same. That's just that's just how it's going to go. I mean, once they kind of get that slow startle, it's hard for a lot of those guys to come back. Don't rush them, okay? I'd give them some more preseason snaps, but even even the preseason, I, I I wouldn't shut them down for the rest of the preseason, but limit him because, you know, he's, his confidence is probably not too high right now. He slid a little farther in the draft than he thought he would. You know, getting picked behind Daniel Jones definitely hurts a bit, but – you throw that in the fact that he just had a poor week one. Don't rush him in and really diminish his confidence. You got to give him some preseason snaps. Uh, luckily, he gave him 14 throws, passing attempts, reps, whatever you want to say, which is a good amount for the first week. Like Daniel Jones had six passing attempts. Kyler Murray had seven. Who I want to get to next? Kyler Murray had a pretty, um, pretty decent day uh, in that in the week one. He goes six for seven. 49 yards. Uh, well, he was six for six, which this bothered me. Six for six, and the last pass attempt was incomplete. But 49 yards. They didn't score on any drives. They didn't get even the ball past midfield when Kyler Murray was in. But you know what? They started deep in their own zone when Kyler Murray came in, and he still looked poised in the pocket. Like, he, you know, being, he was just poised in the pocket. You know, his accuracy was pinpoint. That was great to see. And the field vision, I mean, the field vision and arm strength has to be something that I really loved because this is a guy who's been doubted because of his height and size. Now he's showing, you know, people were making fun of him for maybe not even being able to see over the O-line, and people were saying how small he was. Now he's showing off good arm strength and great field vision. That's incredible. And we already know he's he's definitely able to escape the pocket with his athleticism, his scrambling ability. Murray had a good first week. Again, I, I 
still not the biggest fan of him, but I, I do think there's potential there. I doubted him at first. I do like Kyler Murray, though. I do. Once I really thought about it, once I really looked in depth on him, I liked him. I'm starting to re- he start. I wouldn't say grow on me like John Gruden. This Nate Peterman kid, uh, uh, more of a Nate Peterman. Uh, I don't know this this Nate Peterman kid. He's starting to grow on me. I, I can't do it. I I cannot do a John Gruden. That that was horrible. I can't do a John Gruden. Um, what's it called? Impression. One. I I want to get to the, this too. Marcus Mariota. Marcus, I just feel bad. Um, so, you know, cause I I don't feel bad, but Marcus Mariota needs more attention. No one talks about Marcus Mariota. He was facing the Eagles' backup defense, and he went four for eight for twenty-four yards. Again, he was missing guys, his top weapons. You know, Delaney Walker, Corey Davis, Derrick Henry. They were out of the game. Some of their better players, better weapons. But still, you're racing the Eagles' backup defense. You went 4 for 8 for 24 yards. He just could not read that defense. He didn't look like, you know, he improved at all with the signal calling. I'm sorry. He he struggled. And that that's scary because this is a make-or-break year for Marcus Mariota. It really is. I mean... The Titans want to believe in him, but he really just hasn't taken his game over the top. Him and James Winston, same draft class, went one and two. They both have big years ahead of them. I'm, I think James Winston's ceiling's a lot higher than Mariota's, to be honest, at this point. I think Winston just has such a, a pretty high ceiling. And Mariota has a bit of a higher floor, but his floor is nothing that's really going to make him Oh, I want him as my starter, you know. So I think I'll take Winston over Mariota just because both their floors are not good enough. If Marcus Mariota hits his floor and Jameis Winston hits his floor, Mariota's a little better, but it's still not good enough. If they both hit their ceiling, I'll take Winston all day, any day. Mariota just does not have a very high ceiling to me. Winston does. If he can have better decision-making on and off the field, he could be a real good player and really learn under Bruce Arians. He looked good in that pre- first preseason game. Mariota didn't. I'm pretty much done with Mariota moving on. I mean, you got some other good uh, stories. Damon Sheehy Giuseppe. I don't know how to say his name. He scored a special teams touchdown on a punt return, I do believe, for the Browns. And I just want to run down the quick story of this guy. So, I, I this is just off the top of my head, but I remember reading the story. So, basically, he play. I think he played in the CFL, or he did not make the CFL. I think he would have. He, looking at him, he should have, at least. But something happened where he's with his friend, and he heard there was a tryout for the, I believe it was the... I believe it was either a tryout for the Miami Dolphins or what was the story again? Oh, no, I know it. So basically what happened was uh, he basically he went to Phoenix College, right? Was a track star there, but then he went over and played football, and he was good. He was mostly on the special teams unit, incredible speed. But he couldn't secure a scholarship from Phoenix College. So he was basically just training – he maxed out his credit card looking to get on some, you know, looking for a D1 school to, you know, 
look at his tape and take him on the team. No one did, so he maxed out his credit card. And he spent his last $200 on a workout. I forgot who who was what, with a trainer. And after that, he was out of money. 2,500 miles from home, just sleeping on the grass, just, just outside of random places. And a former flag football teammate came up to him and said, there's a workout down in, um, I believe it was Florida. My, that's where I got Miami from. I think that that was where it was. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was for the Cleveland Browns, but I think it was like in, um, Miami. It was at, he was at the Miami facility, I think. And then a former flag football, a teammate that went to Miami. Well, no, he didn't go to Miami. They were in Miami and he told him about an NFL workout that the Cleveland Browns were having, having, having. So he he wasn't even invited to this workout, but he showed up anyway. And the former flag football teammate mentioned the name of Alonzo Highsmith, who is Cleveland's, I believe, vice president of player personnel. That's what it was. And who graduated from Miami, by the way. So he knew that flag football teammate. So he got in, and as soon as Sheehy Giuseppe saw Alonzo Highsmith, he went, rent. Ran, ran over to Highsmith, introduced himself, and his name was at the bottom of the work, workout sheet. And then, you know, he did did his thing, but the big thing was he ran a 4.38 in the 40-yard dash, and that caught, uh, caught Highsmith's attention. He called the assistant uh, general manager. I forget what his name is. It was Mr. Wolf or something. Uh, Elliot Wolf. That's who it was. Elliot Wolf, and he they gave him an invitation to the Browns practice facility for a workout. And during that, um, you know, um, during that week before the workout, I remember he had no money for a plane ticket, so he could go back to Arizona. So he spent the week in Miami. And just trained. He, he was just training for no money. He just just trained by himself. And he slept outside. Outside of a 24-hour gym. Charged his phone at a laundromat. And he was barely eating. I mean, the guy was didn't eat much because he didn't have any money. So, he goes the second workout with Cleveland. April 5th. He got signed to the team. The workout went well. I mean, this guy has been sleeping on grass for a week outside of a gym. He's been, you know, eating once, twice, maybe, you know, once or twice with a snack a day. Like, less than you should be eating. Anyone should be eating. Like, less than anyone should be eating, never mind a player that's getting ready for a make-or-break shot at the NFL. And he got the job. That was incredible. He did good in training camp. Not people. He's pretty much a long shot. But if I'm the Cleveland Browns, I give him a spot just because you know not only just the, the story, but the guy's got the heart of a tiger. For God's sake, like who does that? Who you know at that point, most people give up. He couldn't find a way on an FBS roster or a Division One school roster, and he just kept going. That, that's incredible, really. And just that work ethic, that heart. And you see the speed, too. So it's not only that, you know, that his work ethic and his heart gives him potential, but the speed, too. At least, you know, what's the worst? You bring him on the team to be your kick returner or punt returner? 
Like, that's worth something, at least for now. And, you know, maybe he goes in there for snaps every once in a while at wide receiver towards the end of the year. I don't know. I'd bring him on the roster, no doubt, because if you put him on the practice squad, I think someone would scoop him up. I really do. That's like the Patriots and Jacoby Myers. Keep making Jacoby Myers things. Like, if you put Myers on the practice squad, he's going to get scooped right up, so you just can't do that. I think you bring him on the roster. At least start him off as a special teams guy. You know, between his work ethic, heart, and speed, he's got a lot of potential. I'd take him on. So that was just another great story. A quick story time for you guys. But again, I I just think those are some of the biggest ta- bigger takeaways. Also, the Christian Wade, the rugby star, scored again. What are the odds all these guys work out? Not good. I just think the preseason you can't get on anyone's hype train until we get to the big the big show, the big deal, the real NFL preseason, and uh, you know the rest, the preseason. In the playoffs. Uh, not the pre regular season in the playoffs, sorry. And then the other uh, thing that I want to get to, what are the Dallas Cowboys going to do without Ezekiel Elliott? Tony Pollard, who is a, was a fourth-round pick out of Memphis, seems to be their starting running back if Zeke doesn't play. Tony Pollard, four rushes for 16 yards. Okay, not bad. He wasn't bad. Four rushes for 16 yards. But the Dallas Cowboys didn't want to play him much, I'm assuming, because they didn't really want to give too much away about this guy. Because he's not really a big unknown, but, like, you want to kind of keep him secret because, you know, he probably shouldn't be a starter in the first place. So you don't want people to not only know this guy doesn't really have the talent to be a starter, and also they know how to game plan against him. So at least make it a kind of a question mark. Like, you know, we may not have the talent, but maybe we can catch some people by surprise, help his confidence out, help our confidence out kind of at least at the beginning. I don't know what they're going to do. They, I think they're going to need a Zeke. I really do. I think they might have to pay him, but I guess if they don't, they're going to have to roll it out with Tony Pollard. So that are some of the bigger week one takeaways. Uh, I guess you throw in Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Looks pretty good, but... Anyway, those are some of the bigger week one preseason takeaways. I know last episode I said I was going to do everything. I just kind of got caught up with the Patriots and kind of forgot. But I think it worked out in my favor because I kind of forgot there was two more days. Because the Patriots played Thursday. I knew there were other games, so I assumed everyone played Thursday. But no, more games Friday and Saturday. So it kind of worked out in my favor. But anyway, those are some of the bigger week one preseason takeaways. Don't read too much into it. But next we're going to get to the Boston Red Sox. So let's get to that. Okay, so I was kind of in a pickle on what to do for today's podcast. I knew I had to get to the Antonio Brown stuff. I wanted to get to the preseason takeaways before, yeah, we were already on to week two. And then I was just like, what's third? Because I have my ceiling and floor for every NFL team, but I kind of want that to basically be its own episode with maybe, you know, like one little topic that we get to as well. But that basically makes up its own episode. And I said, well, I want to talk about the Red Sox, but at the time when I was, you know, debating this, you know, this morning, I was just like, they've only played three games. So I was debating this afternoon, I'm like, they've only played three games. I just want to, you know, get it all done in one series. I don't want to, you know, do it. Because I know by, by the time I do it, it's going to be like, I've done three of the four games, and then you guys are going to listen after the game already happens, if you know what I mean. But then it turns out they played in the afternoon, thank God. So I don't have to worry about any of that. And I said the last time we touched up on the Red Sox, 
They beat the Royals and they lost to them. It was a huge game three. I said, if you lose to the Royals, the season is over. That game got suspended. Time to be determined. So you go on to the Angels. I said, you gotta beat the Angels. Listen, you've won what? They were like five or six in a row against the Angels at this point. You've got to win this series. This should be a series you win. You won the first game 3 nothing. I love the first game because it was not a great offensive game. Uh, you had Sam Travis hit the homer. Two-run home run. Sandy Leone and a solo shot. But Chris Sale was really the story of the day. Eight innings pitched, 13 strikeouts, two hits. Brandon Workman came in, got the job done in the ninth inning. Watching Chris Sale pitch that way, like, watching Chris Sale mow another team down with strikeouts and really just dominate is one of the most fun things to watch. Like, I could watch Chris Sale mow down teams all day long. I could, I could watch just give me a, a nice TV, and just, I'd watch Chris Sale just mow opponents down. That's what I'm going to look up after this. I'm just going to, you know, watch Chris Sale, like, just a series of highlights. You love watching him pitch. When he does well, when he does bad, it's just frustrating. But when Chris Sale pitches well, it's one of the most satisfying things. Love that game. Not only that, two-hour, two 16-minute two game. It was a quick game. Chris Sale mowed him down. It was a great, clean 3 nothing game. Oh, my God, that game was satisfying. It was so good. And you got off on the right foot. You could really only afford to lose one game, one of the first three games. I, this is how I approached this Angel series. I said... You need to win three of four. At least you need to win at least three of four, and you can't lose the last game of the series. So if you go three and one, lose the last game of the series, I don't know how I feel about that. It kind of depends on the scenario, but I don't know how I feel about that. But if you lose, you know, like the second game of the series or the third game of the series and win every other game, I'm fine with that. You know, I would like to sweep, but, you know, staying pretty realistic with this Red Sox team. Then the next game, you win 4-16. to You absolutely destroyed the Angels in that second game. And at this point, I'm sitting there saying, like, all right, as long as we win this fourth game, we're good. You're up 2-0 again. You need to win 3-4 and not lose the last game. That was the goal. And in that, you just, you just blew them out. I mean, J.D. Martinez had a great day. Martinez, though, that one that just... He thought it was a home run, started trotting the base. If he got out of second base, oh, my God, I'd rage about that. Betts had a nice, solid day. Uh, Devers was not bad. You saw Benintendi you know, cheap, but he got on the base. No hits, but he scored two runs. Vasquez had a nice day. Moreland wasn't bad. Really, everyone was hitting. Brian Johnson started pitching, and he didn't do so good. I was not confident in that. Two and two-thirds of an inning. Two hits, two walks, three earned runs, one strikeout. Nothing to be proud about, but the bats were on. That's what mattered. Marcus Walden came in for two and a third innings, mowed him down. Not with strikeouts, but he you know shut him down. Nathan Valdi came in two innings, struggled a little, two walks and a hit, one earned run. But you know he's all right. Luckily, everyone else kind of carried him. Hector Velasquez came in, and Josh Taylor came in for the eighth and ninth inning. Did a good job. No runs, no walks, no hits, no nothing. It looked good. As I said, as long as you win that fourth game. Like, you can lose tomorrow, win Sunday, we are good. If you win both games, that's even better. But I'm saying the priority is you have to win three or four and you can't lose the last game. Then yesterday, Saturday, they got absolutely destroyed. 
Mike Trout's 22nd game at Fenway hits his first home run at Fenway ever, which is crazy. Dude, Mike Trout is a legend, but Mike Trout, you know, the Angels don't play in Boston like one once a year, and what you know, maybe Trout sits out a few of those games too. Uh, Cole Calhoun made that incredible catch. I think that was yesterday's game. Is that yesterday's game? But here's the frustrating thing about yesterday's game. You were in the game in the first six innings. Now, I know that first inning was horrible. Okay, that, that first inning was bad. Okay, you let up the three runs. But then you scored in the third inning. And from, you know, for the first five innings, it's a three-to-one ball game. You're in it. Okay, Rick Porcello struggles in the first inning, but he's came back nicely, okay? He, he's, you know, he's came back nicely in those first five innings. And he came out of the game, Porcello, five innings, five hits, no walks, but five earned runs, three strikeouts. I didn't think Porcello was great, but I don't think he deserved five runs to his name. Because when you let up five hits in five innings, that's not great, but... That that should be about, you know, two or three earned runs. When you let up five hits, no walks, and they score five runs, that's frustrating, okay? That just shows it all kind of happened in a cluster. He got out. He After, I mean, after that first inning, I will say Mike Trout had a bomb off of him. Oh, my God, that was a monster. That was a moonshot. Oh, it was bound to happen, but, oh, my God, that was a moonshot. But Porcel got lit up in that first inning. But after that, he was all right. Wait. My bad. I was talking about the first inning. He pitched in the sixth inning. Mike Trout didn't hit the home run in the first inning. What am I talking about? I meant the sixth inning. He was going well through the fir- uh, his first five innings. And he let up those hits in a cluster in the first and sixth inning. That's what I meant to say. And in the sixth inning, Trout hits that home run on him after that. Boom. Get him out of the game. Okay, that that things were ugly for Rick Porcello there. Okay, it just mm. you were in it those first even six innings because you still scored a run in that sixth inning. You put runners in scoring position. Okay, and only got one run out of it, so it was six to two at that point. But you still felt you like you had some energy. You know, it still felt like, you know what, you know, you're losing 62, but you're still in it. But then you let up seven runs in that seventh inning. You came back with two. But at that point, once they started going off on you in the seventh inning, it was over. So I said to myself, okay, now you have to win tomorrow. Tomorrow's a must-win game. I didn't think I'd be saying that. Mid-August against the Angels, I didn't think I'd be saying must-win baseball, but we are. Here we are. Here we are. This is the position you put yourself in. You have to win tomorrow's game. It's a must-win game. You win tomorrow's game, I can't guarantee the playoffs, but you're in an all-right spot, okay? You're getting a bit better. You lose tomorrow's game, the season may be over. They lose extra innings. This close. So close. Oh, that was horrible. And it, it really was. And I have complaints. First of all, Chris Owings was playing. Their second baseman, Chris Owings, was not bad in the field, but they called him up. He's 28 years old. And they played him at second base. They basically called him at 3 in the morning. He had to get in a pl- get on a plane and fly straight to the game and play. I hated that so much. This guy 
just had to wake up at 3 in the morning to fight. He's probably exhausted already. First of all, he's exhausted. Second of all, it's his first day. You know, he just arrived. Like, he's exhausted. You know, he's just, like, his body's just all over the place. Because not only is he tired and exhausted, but he's just like, you know, I was just sleeping. All of a sudden, now I'm on the Red Sox, and I'm playing in the middle of playing a game now. It's on, like, a huge game for this team. They they didn't make it up. They were like, yeah, just another day at the ballpark. It was really a big game. And you rush him in there, he goes 0 for 5, you know, bases were loaded, he struck out. I mean, why did you rush him in that game? That was a killer. If you have someone else at bat, you might have won that game, really. I mean, you just rushed him in, and it's not like he was supposed to save the team. I mean, what's Chris Owings going to do? The guy's been on the Royals, the Diamondbacks, he's 28 years old, he still hasn't done anything. You know, I think all of a sudden, he's going to be like the, the the next Michael Chavis. Like, I know Chavis, Chavis has been pretty average lately, but you know, at the beginning, he's going off. Is that what Chris Owings, no. Shut up. So, that was my problem. Kashner, oh my god, Andrew Kashner, getting booed off the mound, completely understandable. I would have done the same thing. I hate this guy. Andrew Kashner's came in and done two things. He's been the biggest loser I've ever met. And he's been a huge disappointment. Those are the two things he's done. He has not done anything good for this Red Sox team. The trade wasn't horrible. But now looking back at it, I wouldn't have given up, given up a bag of chips and a Coke for him. I'm not even a huge fan of Coke or chips. I wouldn't have given, given those up for Andrew Kastner because he's just a loser. A loser. One and two innings pitched. Three hits. That's not already good. But did I mention five walks? Three earned runs, one strikeout. Oh, my God. That is disgusting. And then Josh Taylor comes in, does a good job. Marcus Walden comes in, does a good job. Avaldi comes in, does a solid job in his inning. Bat Barnes comes in, gives up the run, a home run to Cole Calhoun, uh, Brandon. Ward, and by that point, it's just over. Well, not not over, but you know what I'm saying. By that point, it was just like uh, I don't. Need, I just getting frustrated. But he's still in the game. Brandon Workman does an all right job. Ryan Weber. Oh, but here's where I want to slow down. I thought Chris, Christian Vasquez had a bit of an overrated day. He hit, did hit the two-run home run, but he went one for five, okay? So he hit the two-run home run. But other than that, he just choked up at the plate. He got your last out. He choked with bases loaded. Christian Vasquez had an overrated day uh, today. Mostly you're listening on Monday, so yesterday. But one for five with the two-run shot, he was overrated because he might have hit that two-run home run, but he choked multiple opportunities. And then he watched that. I don't know if that was that this game. I think it was. I think it was last game. Yeah, it was last game where he had that slider kind of come up and then dip right into the top of the zone inside. I think that was that was game three. I kind of forget. But anyway, I mean, he was, the whole team was choking opportunities today. You could have scored many more runs than four today. Casher did suck. Barnes didn't do very well, but overall, the bullpen held up. You asked one, two, three. You asked six guys to come in, and four of them did well. For this bullpen, it's not bad. Ryan Weber, you biggest, one of the biggest games of the year. This is must win. If you lose this game, the season feels over. And you're pitching Ryan Weber in the 10th inning. You lost today, 
You lost to Anthony Benboom. First game with the Angels. This fourth career game. You lost to Anthony Benboom today. Biggest game of the year. You pitched Ryan Weaver in the 10th inning. Lost to Anthony Benboom. At this point, I'm done. I don't even know who that is. Catcher, Anthony Benboom. I know he's played like four career games. He played three with the Rays. First game with the Angels. This guy's trash. He's he's horrible. And he's beating you. 29 years old. He's another one of those. Uh, Chris Owings, um, Marcus Waltons, those you know, 29-year-old rookies. Please, what are they going to do? Oh, my God. I, th- this just disgusts me. It really does what this team you know, is doing. And at this point, if the season feels over, 62-58, and 58, it's just not going to cut it. You're now seven and a half games behind the Rays, who, did I mention, may not make the playoffs. I mean, they're 8-2 and two in their last time, but they still may not make the playoffs. I mean, look at it. You got the Indians neck up next. You are... Five, your winning percentage is 517. They're 602. You're way behind them at this point. The Athletics, I mean, the Athletics, you're behind the Athletics at this point. And the Angels are not too far behind you now. Only a few games back. So it's like the season's basically over. Now we start talking about how to change the team. And I don't want to talk too much because it's the end of the episode. And I want to say, like, Mookie Betts could possibly be traded. I just want to tell you guys, if you're still listening, it'll be a sneak peek. I'm all for trading Mookie Betts. Future episode, definitely, most definitely, is going to be a big topic. I don't know when. Maybe towards the end of the season. But I'll just tell you right now, if you're listening, I am a big, big, uh, I'm all for trading Mookie Betts at this point. I'll tell you why. And then, you know, maybe some coach firings. We'll get into more of that. But I'm just done. This team is pathetic. You can't uh, just the folk. I'm done. I'm done. Okay. Um, I, I frankly am. This is I. I want to end the episode. I would have ended the episode right now, but I do want to tell you guys one more thing before you guys leave. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, I will say these past few days the listens have been going up a lot. Um, back you know in the past month you know throughout this whole summer I've had a very inconsistent schedule and the listens were going down rightfully so I mean my posting schedule was very very inconsistent you know I wasn't getting a ton of episodes out there so the listens were going down lately I've got back on a better track I've got on but you know I hope to stay on this track I, you know I love doing these I've got back on a better track. You guys have uh, picked it up with the listens. Again, if the listens stay at the same spot, I wouldn't be as motivated. But the listens have gone up, which is good to see. So thank you. I know some of you may be a little newer. Maybe some of you just didn't listen for a while. Like, all right, he's kind of back. But thank you guys for that. Again, uh, the Red Sox, I just don't want to talk about it. I think the season's pretty much over. I just think at this point, look at it. You're just too far behind. Okay, you're too far behind. You're eight, you're seven and a half games behind a team that may not even make it in the Tampa Bay Rays. I do think the Rays will make it. I mean, at this point, the Twins and Indians are, I just noticed this, I just want to throw this out. Twins and Indians are tied. But you're up against the Indians next series, who are eight and two in their last ten. They're really starting to heat up. So between the Twins and Indians, whoever loses that battle between the Twins and Indians is getting that at least the first wild card, at least the second wild card spot, if not the first. And then it's probably going to be the Rays taking the second spot. If not, I don't know, maybe the athletics. I mean, you're pretty much out of it. Oh yeah. 
did I mention the Texas Rangers are right behind you as well? So, I mean, I, I hate to say it if you're a Red Sox fan. And I always leave the door a crack open. I always do because the team has talent. And there's 58 game, 52 games left in the season. The next series coming up, you got the Indians, Orioles, Phillies, Padres. Those are your next few. Like the Indians will be tough, but the Orioles should should be a cakewalk. We'll see. Phillies, yeah, I think you're better than them. Padres, you're better than them. Then you got like the Rockies, uh, Angels, oh, God, and then you got the Twins, Yankees. Philly, uh, I'm just going going to go through the whole schedule. Blue Jays, Phillies, Giants, Rays, Rangers, Orioles, send a year. So it's not too tough of a schedule. You got a bit of a tough stretch in there. But I'm not going to give up on this team because there are 52 games left. The talent is there. But I think with today's loss, the season's pretty much over. My odds, I'll give the I'll give the Red Sox a 2.5% chance to make it. But I'm sorry. That is unacceptable what just happened these past two days. You're up 2-0 against a team that you've dominated, and you blow that. I'm sorry. Even if you even if you lose that last game, I know I wouldn't have been too happy because that was kind of the must-win game. Got to win that last game, just finish it out. But you got to at least win the series. At least win the series. If I'm gonna get picky, just don't lose that last game. But no, you tied it and you lost the last two. At least lose the first two and win the next two to pick up a little momentum. But it seems like every time they pick up a little momentum, they lose focus. It crumbles back down, and that is not good enough to make the playoffs. Even at the even in this era in this crappy MLB with these crappy teams, it's not good enough. Frankly, what they're doing is just not good enough. It's unacceptable. I'm done with the Red Sox. I mean, frankly, this team just sucks at this point. I'm pretty much done. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, yeah. I, I sorry for, I just keep repeating the same thing, but the Red Sox are bad.